This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, our town hall featuring six tremendous candidates in Pierce County. Pierce County is the second largest in the state, and their elections are highly consequential. Sarah Rumbaugh and Kiara Daniels are running for Tacoma City Council, and Elizabeth Pugh is running for Tacoma Port Commissioner. Elizabeth Grasher has put her hat in the ring for Stillicum Town Council, and Dr. Marty Schaefer and Darwin Peters II are running for school board in Clover Park, a district in Lakewood. This was recorded live on Zoom on the evening of July 13th. Thanks to everybody for joining us here tonight. We uh, we just have a really packed program, as Kat has alluded. So I think we should just jump in and meet our first candidate. Sarah Rumbaugh is a community organizer who has served on the Human Rights Commission, the Housing Equity Task Force, Associated Ministries Board, and much more. She holds a master's degree in environmental studies, and she is running for Tacoma City Council in position two. We're so glad she's here. Sarah Rumbaugh, hello. How are you? Good. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm just so impressed that I got chosen to be a part of this um, this platform. Thank you. Well, we're we're so happy that you're here and you've earned your spot. So, uh, and you know, I'd, I'd like to start here. Your personal story is very compelling. Uh, you talk on your website about how you were raised by a single mom in public housing. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that journey for us and and how it led to running for public office. Yeah, so my name is Sarah Rumba, and um, growing up, my I unfortunately experienced um, a divorce in my family, which led my mom and my brother and I to live in to move um, basically to public housing in in um, Bellingham. And, you know, you don't really understand your journey until you can look back on it. And I can see from this place, my mom did the best she could. I'm raising two kids. Um, She did not have a job. She um, was going to school, trying to make her life better for for us. And we were on food stamps Um, in order for us to afford anything. She had to go to charities to get things. And I didn't know these stories until I was in my 20s. Um, I wanted to try out for the basketball team, and she actually went to Catholic Community Services to get me shoes. Um, and we had meals brought to us for holidays, which I just didn't realize we were that poor. Um, so that that's my upbringing, and it's really made me who I am today to know that my mom had to work so hard to make ends meet for us. And it has really formed who I am as a person. Um, Every summer I did Bellingham Parks and Recreation programs because those were free. And so we got to participate in those and that helped form who I am as far as caring for the environment. Um, The one thing that really changed my life was um, I got a scholarship to college. My family really believes strongly in education and I got a scholarship to Gonzaga University. And I only applied to two schools I didn't know enough to apply to a million schools. We didn't have the money to do that. And I got this running scholarship and going to um, Gonzaga University really made me who I am today. Um, From there, I went and got a master's degree in environmental studies and was able to get grants and scholarships for that. And, you know, through my life, I have learned from my mom that um, the thing to do is to give back in your life. My mom is no longer with us, and I would hope that she'd be looking down now and be proud that I was deciding to run for office to make a difference in my community. I can only imagine that she is, and, and moms are the best. They are our guiding lights. Uh, and uh, I just have to ask you before we move on, uh, since I didn't know that you got a scholarship to Gonzaga on a running uh, scholarship, what was your distance? 
Oh, I ran the 5K. So I ran the 5K for um, for cross country, but then I had to do track as well, which I hated track. <laughs> I ran the 10K on the track. Okay. So if everyone that's like 6.2 miles on the track and always there's some girl that's faster than you are and she laps you at like lap 12 and it's like 26 laps. And I say to myself, if I could run that, I can do this. Well, it's it's hardcore, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and as I mentioned in the intro, and this is something that you wanted to spotlight. You served on the City of Tacoma Human Rights Commission, uh, which works to eliminate discrimination through legal means. I wonder how does that fit into the story that you want to tell about yourself as a leader? Well, I, I think we can look at myself and see me um, as a white privileged woman, of course. Um, I grew up in Bellingham and a lot of the people look like me. And to really understand um, my life and to understand where I came from, I, I wanted to learn about other people's lives. And the reason I um, signed up to be, and you know, I put my name in for the Human Rights Commission is because I wanted to learn about racism and find out how I was a part of it. I'm also a member of Temple Bethel, so I'm Jewish. And if you look at our Jewish population, it is mostly white as well. And that is really important to me to understand where we come from and how racism plays into everything that we do. And as a white woman, I wanted to understand better the plight of other people. And so that's why I chose to get on the Human Rights Commission. I also believe strongly that one of the number one places that we see um, discrimination is in housing. And so getting on the Human Rights Commission really fits with the platform I believe in is um, about creating more affordable housing. But I want affordable housing for everyone. And that population needs to be a part of this conversation. Yeah. And in fact, uh, on your website, you say that you want to approach affordable housing with an equity lens. Um, maybe unpack that for us just a little bit. Before we started, you were talking about the, the Home in Tacoma program. Uh, you've also talked about how a strong housing plan must include the missing middle. And also for those on fixed income, vets and seniors. How does all this come together with an equity lens? Wow, that's such a great question you're asking. It's something I really care about. And as I've been at the doors, these questions come up. So Home in Tacoma is a project that the city of Tacoma is looking at right now. If you got on the city council meeting, they're doing public comment on it right now. And it's a way to create housing that it started from the idea that we're that we need more housing. 75% of our city is single family zoning. And if we can like unpack that, we know that single family zoning was brought up to keep certain types of people from getting housing, people of color. And if we look at the history of Tacoma, we, we know there's been redlining. And the reason that I support Home in Tacoma is that it's the idea that we can create more types of housing in all areas of our city so that more types of people can live, that it's not just one type of person who lives in a neighborhood, anybody can live in a neighborhood. And it shouldn't matter what color your skin is or how much you make. Everyone should have choices. And that's what it's about is the creating those choices, not just single family houses, not just apartments, but the missing middle, which might be duplexes, triplexes, cottage homes, tiny homes, things like that. Can I, I'm going to just shift uh, the question slightly because we get an audience question. Wendy asks, what is your plan to restrict growth to already developed urban areas? There should be a moratorium on housing developments. Now, you hold a master's in environmental studies, so you're equipped, very well equipped to answer this question. And it's a big one. Um, 
how do you approach balancing things like the need for housing and economic needs with environmental needs? Well, God, that's such a good question. And I have to say that um, I'm getting this question on the spur of the moment here. I'm thinking about a moratorium on housing. I think that I, there are certain types of housing that don't work in certain parts of our community. And that if you look at Home in Tacoma, they have ruled out certain parts of the city. They're looking at areas where there's bus routes um, to create some of this housing. They're looking at that there being um, development already taking place, like centers and neighborhood centers are already located there. So there are some, some safety nets for making sure that we're not just building high rises everywhere. And I know that that's something people are concerned about because we look at what's happened in Proctor and that was all, all of those buildings are allowed based on the code. So if we don't like that as citizens, we should stand up and go and, and see about like changing that. But right now that is on in the code that was approved back in like 2006. So has nothing to do with home in Tacoma. You handled that curveball very well. I didn't let you know that there were going to be audience questions coming, but for the rest of the panel, okay. uh, there, there are going to be. Um, and it is uh, very much my regret that I'm going to have to move through these questions rather quickly because we have limited time tonight, as you know. But I want to ask you about your support for renewable and green energy jobs, because this is related to your environmental background. Just very broadly, what sort of opportunities do you see in Tacoma to make that transition? Yeah, so the port is a big part of my district since I'm in District 2, and we need to marry the creation of new jobs with protecting our environment. And I'm certain people here um, are people who know about LNG plant, and I do not support the LNG plant, but I do support talking about how do we create jobs that might be renewable green energy jobs. And one of the things I think we need to think about is things that were already here in our community. We have a publicly owned public utility that is doing a lot of this. They're already doing solar energy. They're doing different types. They're looking at different um, types of um, carbon like renewal that we should be thinking about increasing. And just so you know, just to think about it, when you have a fossil fuel tank sitting on your property, like the port does, that is not making a job. That's making it, that's giving money to US oil. We need to find a way to better use our port to create more jobs. And I think we can do that if we are able to help the port spend the time looking for those green jobs. And like, I don't know what all those green jobs are. They're all new, right? They're things that are coming up that people are creating them. They're, they're, it's innovative. So we need to be, and that's why we need to be thinking that way. And if we're not thinking about it today, we're gonna miss that boat as fossil fuels we know are disappearing. Elizabeth Pugh, I know you, you know that I'm coming for you with that question later on, so, so stand by for that. Um, I want to talk briefly about public safety with you, Sarah. Um, you support alternatives to police responding to homelessness and behavioral health crises. Um, we actually did a panel recently here on the Town Hall series that explored a lot of those different modalities. I think Kat's going to drop a pin there for people who are interested to, uh, to check that out. I'm wondering what models would you like to see explored and or enacted in Tacoma? So I'll tell you right now that this is one of the, I think Kiara Daniels will be the expert here today about talking about this. Um, I'm not going to own this space as an expert. I'm going to say I am like every other citizen out there who's trying to understand where we need to go with this. But one of the things I know is that we need to listen to the different um, 
people in the room to come up with solutions. And one of the things I know is that we have a crisis in mental health and we're seeing it on our streets and we're seeing it in our cities. And we're and the unfortunate thing is Manny Ellis was a victim of that, that we let him slip through the cracks from mental health issues. And we cannot just think that the police have all those skills. We need to provide training. We need to provide, um, you know, structural reform to what police are doing. I am certain that they don't want to be doing those jobs either. But I know that the, the right now, the way things are set up, if the fire department shows up to something, they want the police there. If a mental health person shows up, a service provider shows up, they want the police there. We need to think differently about how we're doing things, but create the skill set that goes with that. And I think right now we're just not there. And that's those are some of the things I know that I've been talking to people. I'm sure some, like I said, Kiara Daniels, I hope I will listen to her tonight and learn even more. Well, she is up next. And I know you've been hearing a lot of things, but we were talking about that before you started. You were one of the, I would just point this out for people. If you're interested in engaging uh, with Sarah, she is honestly the first candidate that I've ever seen to offer a one-on-one chat on her webpage. Uh, so I would call that out. I would just ask you before, uh, before we let you go, what are some of the things that you need help with in your campaign? Gosh, you know, I want to say as I've done a lot of campaigns and every campaign needs someone to go on their website at sarahrumbaugh.com and make a contribution is one thing you can do if you want to help with my campaign. I have two doorbell days coming up. One of them is this Saturday from 10 to 12. And then the next Saturday, the 24th is from 12 to 2. But I would say one of the biggest things you can do is share your experience talking with me today or meeting with me today and share that with 10 other people. If you want a yard sign and you live in district two, holler and I'll get one to you. Those are some things that you can do. Thank you. Let's see some hands for Sarah Rumba tonight. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to move on to Kiara Daniels. She is the Business and Community Development Coordinator for SpaceWorks Tacoma. She holds a master's in public administration and has a long record of community activism with the community's police advisory committee, the Hilltop Engagement Committee, Fuse Washington, yay, Habitat for Humanity, and the Peace Community Center. She's also the recipient of the city of Tacoma's Dr. Martin Luther King Emergency Leader Award. I'm out of breath, Kiara. Uh, <laughs> and she is running for Tacoma City Council in position six. It's it's quite a uh, quite a CV, my friend. How are you tonight? I am amazing. I'm stressed out thinking about how we're going to get through all this in 10 minutes because I can talk and I know you can talk and we are going to really try to hammer it out with questions too. I'm going to make these questions really, really tight then. Um, so, you know, I, let's start here. You grew up in Tacoma. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your personal story and how it led you to run for office in the city. Yeah, so I have, I'm 32 and I have been here for 32 years. I was born in Tacoma General. Uh, which is in the Hilltop neighborhood. Um, I spent most of my time in the Hilltop neighborhood, but I've also lived in central Tacoma. I've lived in the South End. I've lived in the North End. Um, I have friends really all over Tacoma. And so um, I've experienced really the positive part of being in Tacoma. And I've experienced what it's like to be in the different neighborhoods that have different things going on. And um, I, I see what policy can do. Um, and I see what power we have to really create the neighborhood um, and the community that we want to see, right? There are people that are doing this organically, but I see what we can do at a higher level. 
I've worked in a uh, nonprofit, as you, as you say, stated earlier, I've worked at Habitat and um, so housing, business, education, right? And I see the power of what we can do uh, at a policy level. And I'm here to really uh, go beyond my direct service and, and see what that could look like um, when, I'm, when I'm helping to uh, give out resources and I'm helping to uh, create community all over Tacoma. And, you know, in that vein, I would like to frame the rest of our discussion around what you say your personal mantra is, which is love our city. It's yeah. it's it's so simple. It's so powerful. Talk about what that means to you. Yeah. I mean, if you, you could talk to anybody uh, who's ever been to Tacoma, um, everybody says they love Tacoma. And I, I deeply, deeply, deeply love Tacoma. But more than uh, me saying that I love Tacoma, more than me enjoying our environment, our water, our just really everything, um, love is really a verb. And it's really about how do we show that we love our city? How do we show that we love our community every day from the work that we do, from how we spend our money, from how we treat our neighbors, from how we treat our elders? What does that really look like as an action, right? And for me, that's going to come in making sure that everybody in our community has housing. That's going to make sure that um, what does that look like in terms of the environment? Do we have a tree canopy, right? Are we making sure that we're protecting our water, our air for years to come, right? How do we show our love for the city through policy? And that's really what I, what I think it looks like for candidates. Well, your priorities are, you're kind of taking them off here broadly. They're healthy families, healthy economy, healthy neighborhoods. So let's start with neighborhoods and housing. Um, as uh, Sarah was saying, the need for affordable housing is absolutely impacting uh, Tacoma. It's actually impacting virtually every municipality here in Washington. How specifically is it playing out in Tacoma? And then actually what I, I really want to ask you about is something very uh, interesting that you lead called the Design the Hill Initiative. Maybe we could start there. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So Sarah talked a little bit about just the need for housing in general. So I won't go, I won't belabor us all about that because we know what the need is, right? Uh, but, the, but Design the Hill is about a specific neighborhood and it's about um, anti-displacement. It's about responding to gentrification. It's about cultural, economic preservation for historical uh, residents in Hilltop. Um, and for us, that happens to be Black residents, right? Um, it's not just about um, anti-displacement. It really is about how do we bring people home? And when we talk about displacement, we often only talk about housing. We don't talk about culture. We don't talk about art. We don't talk about business, right? And so Design the Hill is really an initiative that is about community-driven design. It's about how do we allow the community to design the neighborhood that they have been in already for this time and what they want to see in the future. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's just a group of, of young artists, activists, entrepreneurs that are here um, and not willing to accept this narrative uh, that's going on in every other major city. And, and we're just doing something about it. I want to take a moment to acknowledge that our friend uh, LD28 Senator Twana Nobles is here. Welcome to you, my friend. We're Hi, so glad guys. that you are here. Um, you know, you talk on your website about the need to incentivize uh, the construction of affordable housing and starter homes, services and, and shelter for the unhoused. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask you the same question that I asked uh, Sarah earlier uh, from yeah. Wendy, which is, what is your plan to restrict growth to already developed urban areas? Uh, she feels there should be a moratorium on developments. How do you respond to that? I'm not really there. Um, I I don't talk a lot about what I want to restrict. I talk more about what I want to see. And for me, that is housing, right? We talked about this need for 45,000 more people or for housing for 45 more thousand people plus the people that are unhoused right now. And so for me, before we get to restricting, I want to see what it looks like to fully fund um, the housing that we need now. And so uh, that means the mid- missing middle, that means uh, starter homes, that means thinking about um, how are we funding our land trusts that are coming up. There's several of them, Tahoma Land Trust, Habitat for Humanity is creating a land lease program. Um, THA can only build but every five years because of the cost to build and they can't build in Tacoma. They're going out into rural county and it's creating more problems there, um, right? So how do we figure out our own issues here and how do we really fully fund that here before we think about uh, what it looks like to restrict? That's I, my personal opinion. And I'll, let me just say this. Please. What I will say is about in Tacoma is like that we don't really know. We're not really sure about where we're going. We really haven't agreed on where we're going yet. And I think that's the biggest issue is that we are in like this growth. Uh, we have this growth tension and we're trying to figure out who we're going to be. We have an identity crisis and, you know, we are responding to what's happening to us. But uh, I, I don't know that we have a lot of choice in increasing our density. And so uh, for someone who has been impacted life or death really by that, I would say, we have to build. Well, so then sort of transitioning to the the healthy families part of your platform, uh, I kind of want to put the same question that I put to Sarah to you as well. I mean, first and foremost, we know that the environmental crisis disproportionately impacts black and brown people. Um, You say that the council needs to continue to adapt to Tacoma's environmental action plan. I wonder if you could tell us about that and how that sits either in harmony or in tension with some of the economic and housing needs in the city. Um, I think the beauty in thinking about the environment and the economy and our housing is that um, a lot of times it feels like we're forced into thinking that it's either or, and I'm here to dispel that, right? I think it's all of those, right? We we absolutely, we cannot ask uh, people that cannot afford housing, that have nowhere to live to be thinking about plastic bags or straws or plastic water bottles, things like that, that are are, are going into our water. Uh, we absolutely can't, we can't talk about that, right? We have um, over half of our community is commuting to work because we don't have livable wage jobs here. And so I know that um, there is a tension between housing and the environment Um, I understand that. And I'm here for the learning. I'm here for us creating a positive conversation around what that looks like holistically without having to choose or without having to uh, feel guilty about pushing one one way or the other, because we absolutely cannot go into the future with leaving the economy, housing or uh, any of it behind. Right. We have to be talking about things holistically. Um, and so that's what I'm here for. You're talking about a systems approach. I, I'm seeing a lot of heads nodding uh, out there. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, exactly. Okay, so Evergreen College talking there. Um, I also want to talk, uh, the, the final uh, tenet of your priorities is healthy economy, and so that sort of dovetails into what we were just touching on. But I, I would love for you to talk specifically in a granular way about some of the work that you're doing investing in small and micro-enterprise black businesses and businesses of color. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, I'm really lucky that my work is so holistic that I get to, I mentioned my work with Design the Hill, and that is with Fab Five, where we really talk about the housing side and the design and art and culture side of building a community. And my work at SpaceWorks is really the response to that in terms of small business. We talked about a community that in the future, we wanna see black businesses. We want to revive a street that was culturally, artistically, that had black economics all around, right? And we're down to about maybe three or four businesses there, right? And so my job during the day at SpaceWorks and at the Chamber is really to find those entrepreneurs that are looking for space in the hilltop, those that want to come back home, those that um, have been there before. How do we create the space for them to be stable? How do we get people owning businesses or into space, working with developers to get in spaces affordably, right? So that we are creating this revitalizing this district that was once so amazing um, that a lot of people don't know about. We have a lot of uh, transients, not transients, but uh, folks that have been here for less than five and 10 years. So they don't know the history. And and I was only lucky that um, I have a storytelling family and a storytelling community. So I really only get to hear about the amazing things that went on in the sixties and seventies. So a lot of that is just this revival of uh, small business and really thinking about micro enterprise to create jobs in our community. And it's, I think it's a really, 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 uh, it's an untapped re- resource to think about folks that are coming out of the criminal justice system, think about folks that, um, I don't know, that maybe aren't traditionally served in our mainstream jobs. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you talk about the connection between small businesses and employment, yeah. and you, you kind of threw a mind-blowing uh, statistic at me, and I don't know if you had a chance to look that up, because I didn't, <laughs> but it basically said that if in America uh, every small business or micro-business could employ one person, we'd have full employment. Um, yes. So, and I'll have to do that. I'll have to get you the... Um, I want to get you the 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 study that that showed that, but it's really about the contribution of micro enterprise to our society. And beyond just thinking about micro enterprise, it's thinking about our community. And we've seen how many um, right now in our community we have more Black entrepreneurs during COVID than any other time, right? And it's not because we haven't thought about business before. It's about this need to this this absolute need through desperation to have to do something different, right? And re- relying on our resilience and relying on the things that we've all already needed to do, but not having the time or ability to do those things. And so we see money coming into our communities, and I really want to make sure that we're doing we're distributing those funds equitably and making sure that they last, not just while folks think about Black lives today, but how do we think about and love Black lives, you know, into the future and and forever. It's such a bigger conversation, and I I wish we could just continue right on having it, but I'm going to have to uh, unfortunately bring our segment to an end here. So I'll ask you, uh, how can people help with your campaign? 
Uh, we're doing pretty amazing. Honestly, candidates always need help with money and they always, we always, always, always need uh, you to vote. That's the easiest part. We have primaries coming up. That's, that's a quick one, but I'm actually in the general. So I need support doorbelling. We have an event on July 24th. Uh, we're going to meet at my dad's house on the South end, and we will be working our way there just to make sure that people are voting in the South end. Um, and then that they know what's going on. So doorbelling and dollars. Doorbelling and dollars. I like it. It's uh, it's it's alliterative too, which really works. Yeah. And you got the, the the killer URL. You got your name dot com. Kiaradaniels.com. So for people listening uh, who are not watching with us tonight, that's where you can go to learn more. Kiara Daniels, such a pleasure. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you. Hey, let's see some hands for Kiara Daniels, everybody. And let's bring on Elizabeth Gracier. She is a mental health therapist at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and she's also an adjunct psychology professor at St. Martin's University in Lacey. She is a Stillicum Planning Commissioner and a Pierce County Behavioral Health Advisory Committee member, and she is running for town council in position two in Julian Gievsky's hometown, Stillicum. Elizabeth Gracier, and I, I believe you like to go by Liz, so I will say, Liz, welcome tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. So uh, a few things. I, I know that you have very deep family roots in Washington. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit, but also just kind of talk generally about your background and how you came to run for town council. Sure. I could probably write a novel, but just very <laughs> briefly, my, I see a few of you smiling. She probably can um, understand that. So my great grandpa first came to Camp Lewis in 1918 and um, Raymond Morsey, actually he was on display at the Stilcom Historical Museum Association, brought my grandmother here from um, Utah, both Irish Americans, and they settled in DuPont. And then my grandparent on Anderson Island back in the 1970s. And that is some of my ties to the town of Stilicum, historically speaking. And a little bit about me, additionally to the planning commissions, I'm on the Stilicum Kiwanis. I'm also a member, an ad hoc committee member for diversity and inclusion on the Stilicum Historical Museum Association. In line with my work as an adjunct psychology professor at St. Martin's University, I'm also the coordinator for NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. I'm the faculty advisor for that. We actually won. Um, we were the very first started NAMI last year. And we actually won by the students the um, Club of the Year Award. So I'm very, very excited about that. And the students asked me to be their um, adjunct faculty advisor. And as an adjunct, I was like, oh, thank you so much. I'm only here part time and I'm here to represent you. Um, and I also have done some things. Um, Sarah, I could um, feel a little bit of what you were talking about. My mother passed away a few years ago, pancreatic cancer. So I put up a little free library in Silicon for her at Perkins Park. And I also put up at the Silicon. Um, with the historical school district over on Anderson Island Elementary. I also put up a sun style for my grandfather, but no more memorials, please. Thank you. So I tell my family, I've done enough in Stillicum and Anderson Island. <laughs> <laughs> no more family memorials for a while. Yeah. Yes. Well, so if you would just uh, very briefly give us a little bit of information about Stillicum. It is relatively small. Sure. So where is it? And, and specifically, what are the demographics there? Sure. So we're in the South Puget Sound. We're just over two square miles in size. We were incorporated in 1854. I want to make it clear, though, that first was the Stilcom Tribe was here first. They do have a Stilcom Tribal and Cultural Center at 1515 Lafayette. That being stated, Stilcom is known for the town of firsts, um, everything from the first port of Washington, the first jail in Washington, first school, first public library. 
We're about 6,400 people and slightly more um, women than men. On our town council, we have five members, only one woman, and most of the council members are approximately, I, I believe we might, might have a chance to talk about this a little bit later as well, but about 70 or older. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you talked about the makeup of the uh, of the board. And you know when you and I prepared for this, you talked about uh, the need for greater diversity of representation on the council, in particular in gender and age. Um, yeah. Give us some more specifics about the, the, the makeup of the council itself and kind of how you would like to balance that out. Sure. So the council is all um, Caucasian, white Americans, and primarily all have military backgrounds. So while I am not a military member, I do work on Joint Base Lewis McCord, and I'm also a yoga instructor, not just a mental health therapist, but also teach yoga on JBLM. Um, right now, with over 50% of our town female, we only have one female voice on the board. And when I have done door knocking, I have been asked multiple times if I'm running for school board. So I think that says a little bit about some of the demographics in our town. And I think also the average age is between, I've looked at several different sites, anywhere between 40 to 42. I'm right around also the average age um, for people that are in this town. That's our median age. I want to just take a moment before we continue to acknowledge uh, Port of Tacoma Commissioner Kristen Ong has just joined us. So welcome to you uh, tonight. Another thing you talk about with the uh, with, with the town council and in local government generally is the need for transparency. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and what you would like to see there. So a few things I'd like to talk about with that specifically. One interesting situation. So I am on the planning commission, but this also happens at city council. So I have access to the agenda and the packet. When you log in, all you have access to is the, is the minutes and the agenda from the last meeting. So if I'm referring to an RCW, if I'm talking about page seven, you do not have access to that. Now that is showing up now in some of our town council meetings, but it's very sporadic. The other issue is we are, do have our meetings recorded, but they do not seem to show up anywhere on social media on the website i have had um, members silicon town members con contact me and ask how do i get access we click that we agree that we're being recorded where do these videos go some members have said that if they've asked people in town the mayor town administrator they receive those documents others tell me they have not and things like pctv pierce county television would be a very easy way recorded people can watch if they can't attend the meetings um, I'm not sure why this isn't happening and why people also are not having access to the packets. Well, I mean, it all makes it's it's good common sense. And, you know, as they say, sunshine is the best disinfectant. So absolutely, those kinds of reforms uh, sound uh, like they would make a great deal of difference. Growth is also an issue across pretty much all of Pierce County. You believe in what you call responsible growth for Stillicum. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in practice? I could say a lot on this because I'm on the planning commission, but going back to transparency, actually having some discussions today is people are saying they don't feel that their voices are heard. They're not aware when we are rezoning. For example, we had a mill that was recently rezoned. We have 12 parks. People are not aware of some of these changes that are happening. And I'm being consulted. I've been called everything from you know, my personal emails, Facebook, for people just to simply have a chance to talk to me. So one thing is having possibly town hall or, um, you know, what I want to say, community circles where people can communicate. That's not happening. We're also Tree City USA. When I tell people that they're shocked and tree canopies, peer-reviewed research shows that people's health is improved by tree canopy. 
canopies, not by concrete. So by doing things like preserving green spaces, and I realized that we're going to have growth. But last night when I was on the planning commission um, meeting, there was also a discussion concern that a recent uh, development that went in just off Galloway, they, they did knock down a lot of trees and then they planted trees. However, about 30% of those trees are probably dead or dying. They are responsible for them for two years. So that was one of the compromises that the town made. So what's happening there? And that was a discussion that we engaged in last night. So we're cutting down the trees. We're agreeing with the contracting companies okay, you're going to plant 120, um, what do I say, 120 trees, and then why now are approximately 30% of them dead or dying? One of the other things that you and I spoke about at length was your advocacy uh, for interacting with local tribes. Um, and I know it's, it's my understanding that this is not something that is happening on a regular basis with local uh, town government. What would you like to see here? So I am working, as I mentioned, on the Diversity Inclusion Board of the Stilicum Historical Museum Association. So we are in the process of working on a land acknowledgement statement with the Stilicum tribe, which includes Danny Marshall. I also personally make sure to invite tribal members to meetings on a personal basis. And additionally, when we were working on the rezoning of the mill area, one thing that I advocated for, people were saying, well, let's have some of our founding fathers of Stilicum Bulch or whatnot. We have Lafayette, those types of names. One thing that I wanted to make sure that was on the record is what about indigenous people? We're on the land of the coastal Salish, what's happening there? And then also when we're talking about um, indigenous rights too is the waterway making sure. So when I was told that their letters were sent to the Nisqually, Puyallup and Silicon tribes that their estuary, the waterway in which they utilize they would receive letters that we were gonna be doing some rezoning. However, when I talked to the Silicon tribal members I was told they receive three to four letters a week regarding zoning and frequently um, are not aware exactly what's happening in a meeting. And I was informed, please next time, make sure to tell us we need you on this meeting because they're simply overwhelmed when I talked to the Silicon tribe about the amount of letters and invites that they have. So making sure they realize we're talking about the waterway rights and the rights of the land that you have that we basically took from you. <laughs> Once again, this is a discussion that you and I could have for, for quite some time, and we're kind of bumping up against the clock again. But I will just note for people, uh, if you go on your social media, go on your Facebook in particular, uh, you've been very, very active in your community. You can see you out there uh, with photo after photo after photo of, of just interacting with uh, members of the town in Stillicum. What sorts of things are you hearing from people there? Everything from what I just mentioned, transparency, land management. We have a traffic circle going in public safety issues. People are very interested since I'm on the Pierce County Behavioral Health Advisory Board. I've had a lot of questions. Um, we were just talking a few moments ago, I believe, Sarah, you were talking about mental health and police involvement, about having um, situations erupt where maybe there was a situation with mental health and it wasn't handled, possibly in the best way possible, maybe restraints or someone being taken to jail rather than to a mental health hospital. Those are some of the things that I'm hearing about. Well, and so, yeah, this is the, this is the sort of uh, the kind of uh, interaction and transparency that you want to bring to to town government. And so what does your campaign need help with? Door knocking. I'm in a tight race. I am the only progressive running at this time. There are four of us. I'm also the only woman running. Um, so door knocking. Feel free. Um, reach out to me. I'm always appreciative. Like you said, Kara, dollars are wonderful, too. Um, and simply like. 
like we talked about, you know, um, feel free to reach out, tell your friends about me if they live in Silicon, tell them vote, you know, Liz Gracier. And I would appreciate that so much. I really appreciate your time tonight and giving me a chance to advocate for my campaign. Thank no, you so much. Yeah, we so appreciate you coming on the show tonight. And I will just say for people who are listening, uh, there is no website, uh, I don't believe, but if you would like to track the campaign, you can uh, look up Elizabeth Gracier, G-R-A-S-H-E-R, on Facebook. Uh, Elizabeth Gracier, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Some hands for Elizabeth. Thank you. And we are going to move on to uh, Elizabeth Pugh. She is running for Tacoma Port Commissioner in position two. She holds an undergrad degree in communications and a master's in whole systems design and is a member of the Tacoma Arts Commission and previously sat on the Seattle Women's Commission. She also works with soldiers and other service members who are preparing to enter the civilian workforce. uh, workforce, And we are so glad that she is here. Elizabeth uh, Pugh, how are you, my friend? I am doing really well. It's um, it's actually been great to sit back and listen to everyone else talking here tonight. So um, love the conversation and, and thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of it. Well, well, let's let's continue right along with you and bring you into this. So the, the first thing that I would like to ask you is kind of a 101 type question. Could you just give us a brief outline of what the Port Commissioner does? Absolutely. So the, um, the Port Commission, and first of all, there are five port commissioners, and this is for the Port of Tacoma, which is actually um, a county position. So it's a countywide position. And um, just like to think that's important because the port does affect people outside of those of us who just, you know, see the cranes every day. And so that's something that I think is going to be really important in, and it is and will continue to be important in the conversations I have. Um, I just had a conversation the other night with someone um, who kind of heard from somebody from, and somebody else that I was running and they wanted to know why I was different from the person who was in the seat right now. Um, and then realized that they thought I was running against somebody else because they didn't even realize there were five people on the commission. <laughs> so the commission really is there to set the strategic direction for the port um, and also do things like approve major expenditures. As far as more of the day-to-day operations, the commission is, uh, the commissioners are also the ones who you know hire and appoint that executive director who's actually going to be leading kind of the corporation of the organization. So really the commissioners are there to make sure that we're focusing on the right things for the people of Pierce County and the region. And then we're employing staff and experts to execute on those goals and those visions. And why did you, uh, why would you move to run for the position? You know, I I think we've heard a little bit about this from some other people tonight, but when I look at the current commission and the makeup of the commission over, I'm going to say, honestly, even the last generation, you know, definitely the last decade, but really the last generation, we're seeing a lot of the same on that commission. And I don't believe that we're fully representing the interests of everyone in Pierce County. So I was looking for a way to serve, and I think I do have a different perspective that isn't, you know, entrenched in that day-to-day business. Um, that that is really going to be important to to add to the commission. Yeah, you you mentioned to me that the incumbent has been in office since 1995. That is uh, yes. that, that is quite a long stretch. You know, you were alluding to this earlier when you were describing what the, the the commission does. I understand a lot of the work that the port does is through various relationships. Um, I, can you talk a little bit about how those relationships impact what gets done and doesn't get done at the port, and how the commission uh, interacts and guides those relationships? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, this is something that was was part of my understanding when I first got in uh, into the race and was first having those conversations. People would say, what are you going to do about X, Y, Z? And I'd say, well, this is what I'd like to do. And then they'd say, well, can you do that? And so sometimes I said, okay, that is actually something we can set direction for. And a lot of things are also going to be through partnerships with, um, you know, Tacoma city councilors, for instance, right on things like the uh, sub area plan for the tide flats. That's not something that the port just gets to decide on its own. That is made up of um, these other partnerships in regional organizations as well as, as other government entities. Pretty much all of the commissioners also are sitting on other boards in the community. So they're sitting on boards and commissions um, and regional councils for things like transportation, industry, environmental. Um, we have a few of the commissioners are also acting as, a, as tribal liaisons to the Puyallup tribe. So all of these different kinds of relationships come into play. And so I really see that the port commissioners um, don't just have that influence in terms of setting that direction for the port itself, but also what are they advocating for and lobbying for in the other city councils and county councils and, and these other relationships, as well as who is influencing the commissioners. So right. are we listening to labor? Are we listening to corporations? Are we listening to the Puyallup tribe? And I would come down on the side of saying that we're, we're definitely listening to corporations too much and not enough to human beings who live in the community. And that's something that I think is really easy when we start getting afraid about economic things. Um, you know, oh no, they're gonna take the business away. This is gonna happen. And um, this idea that people need businesses. And I think that's getting, getting it a little twisted. Um, we as human beings create and organize and develop through coming together in organizations like businesses or through governments. But only at the end of the day, if those businesses are not providing the things that we need in the community, then we should be putting our energy into other places or demanding that from those organizations. Yeah, you just deftly uh, kind of cut off the the argument that a lot of people make about pushing too hard for, say, for example, green energy reforms at the port is that they may lose business. Um, and speaking of which, it, you know, that fits into our discussion about your priorities because you strongly support moving away from fossil fuel and toward green energy and green jobs. The, inc the incumbent says he believes the port is already working toward a uh, a clean environment. I wonder how you respond to that. Yeah, um, you know, so the incumbent does point to it and other members of the commission point to specific accomplishments that they've made, um, so especially related to um, the traffic and the, and the trucks that are coming in through the ports, things like that. But the issues that we're really having to tackle right now, and we all saw this earlier this month, right? We are still getting updates on the fallout of those high temperature days that we experienced earlier this month, right? The News Tribune is still reporting deaths associated to that. We had businesses, small businesses could not stay open. We had construction workers where it was not safe for them or environmental workers, people who were outside, it was not safe for them to be doing their jobs all day. I know at my job, we lost our internet for two days. <laughs> so we were trying to do our work and we basically had to do twice as much work. So when we talk about the long-term effects, it's going to have a negative impact on business. So even if all you care about is business, we need to tackle these issues when it comes to climate change. Now, in addition to that, I'm really passionate about workforce development. My background is in human resources, career advising, training and development. And I think there are so many amazing opportunities for our residents 
to be trained and develop and continue to grow and help us innovate in the green economy. And I want Tacoma, I want Pierce County to be a part of that. I want to be leaders in that. And I want it to be a situation where when we have companies that are embracing those things, as they start to adapt to those, those different technologies, that they're going to see that as a benefit, that we are equipped to handle their business, that we are equipped to work with them because we have that infrastructure and we have the expertise in our community. So that is how I would res respond to that. I don't think any of these things happen overnight, but I also think that's why it's really important that we get working on it sooner as opposed to later, right. because um, at some point, as it's kind of been talked about before, you know, fossil fuels are declining. We are not going to have the opportunity to continue to use those even if we wanted to forever. And we are seeing those negative effects of using those. So at some point, our hand is going to be forced. I would rather, and I think I got quoted elsewhere on this, um, I'd rather be leading the charge instead of getting dragged along, kicking, you know, kicking and screaming. I, I love the quote. You said you want to be ahead of the curve of where we're ultimately going to be in 20 or 30 years anyway. So yeah. here, here to that. And, you know, I think you uh, ultimately make a, an, an even stronger argument for having people who are younger on the on the port commission, because, you know, you're going to be the ones who are going to be really uh, your generation is going to be really impacted by all of this. Um, you're also a strong supporter of economic justice. And uh, this is another one of those kind of, you know, bonehead one-on-one questions that I will ask you because I simply, I don't know the nuances and you will. What are some of the ways that a port commissioner can impact um, economic justice issues? Yeah, and, and part of this is going to be continuing to understand what the needs are in the community, right? So where do we have those opportunities for improved justice? But basically economic justice is all about improving the opportunities for other, for people in the community to participate in the economy. And so this could be through looking at how we're dealing with our um, contractors, right? Or any kind of vendors or agreements that we're making. Do we have an economic justice lens that we're looking at these other organizations we're partnering with? It's also going to be continuing to work with labor and making sure that there is support for, for labor in general and for organizing. Um, and that we also have on ramps, you know, there's been a lot of things that have been kicked around things like um, fellowships through the, the JBLM, a maritime high school, some of these ideas that have been kicked around that would be on ramps for people in our community who have historically been excluded from certain times of work. Right. So we don't see the same percentages of say women in general um, in the trades. OK, um, we also don't see other, you know, um, populations, whether we're talking about um, along, you know, racial ethnic lines, um, you know, people who have emigrated to the area, um, veterans, folks who have been involved in the, the justice system and incarcerated. Right. So we need to make sure that we have pathways because fundamentally, and this is what I've learned from working with people and talking to people for over a decade about what they want from their careers and what they want from their lives is most people want to show up and do good work. Yeah. Um, this whole idea that we have to kind of be forced to, and if we don't have to, we're going to be lazy. Humans are excessively productive. Okay. We've seen this in the, during, during the, uh, the kind of the shutdown during COVID, right? I mean, I couldn't even find flour on the shelves because everyone was trying to figure out how to make sourdough bread. Um, I know people who started podcasts, people who started their Etsy stores. If you look at the, you know, the scope of history is, People want to be productive and we want to feel like what we're doing matters. We need to give everyone opportunities to excel within our economy. 
this really gets into uh, some of the tenets of, you know, what you studied in your degree in uh, whole systems design. And uh, once again, we are up against the clock, and I wish that I had more time uh, to discuss a lot of these things with you tonight, as we did when we were preparing for this, because we got into some fascinating discussions, including a discussion, <laughs> a protracted discussion about uh, about improvisation and how you're also an improv, uh, improv teacher. You're very, very well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just want to uh, close by asking you, how, uh, how can people help your campaign? What can we do? Absolutely. So um, I will double down on the uh, donations are really, really valuable right now. I am in a primary, which means I have three weeks from today. Um, and either I make it through to the general election or we don't. So this really is a make it or break it moment for our campaign. You can go to my website, elizabethpew.com. I think I saw that just go in the chat at. And you can also follow me on pretty much all the regular social medias at Pew for Port. I do put updates there um, and maybe I'll, follow, I'll try to follow you guys back if you follow me, but really um, donations. And then I'm gonna need some help with phone banking and that sort of thing later on. We have 550,000 potential voters in this race. We are not gonna be able to door knock all of them, yep. but we could really use your help with getting out some of those other media um, and, and doing some of those phone calls as well. Well, you heard her gang, uh, Elizabeth Pugh, thank you so much. Let's see some hands for it tonight. And we will turn next to Dr. Marty Schaefer. He has served on the board of the Clover Park School District in the city of Lakewood for 16 years and has served as board president for six of those. He has a deep educational experience from the classroom to educational curriculum and consulting, uh, leading private schools, consulting with Office Depot's partnership with IBM and education for the K-12 Business Solutions Division, helping to develop Native American uh, curriculum, student leadership programs, and so much more. And he is running for re-election to the school board. Dr. Schaefer, welcome. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well, Stephen. Thank you very much. Well, we're really glad to have you here. And I will just say for people who may not know, um, your race is being targeted, and and Darwin's race as well, is being targeted by right-wing extremists for reasons that we will discuss in depth. But first, I just want to give you the opportunity because your CV is so rich and you've done so much work uh, across so many uh, many spectrums uh, in education. I'd love for you to just take an opportunity to introduce yourself, talk about the progress that you've made, and some of the successes that you have overseen during your years of service. Yeah, what's interesting is I've been listening tonight. My undergraduate degree is in urban planning. And then I went on and uh, ended up getting a master's of divinity. And I went into the ministry for 18 years, did that as a career. Then from there, I actually went and got a doctorate in leadership and went into corporate America for another 18. And so kind of a a wide variety of opportunities to do something that I'm very passionate about. And that's to be an advocate for public education. Uh, that's that's just where, where my heart is. And I know that if I'm going to do something significant in education, we have to do something significant in our communities. And so as I'm an advocate for students, I'm also an advocate for children. I see those two interwoven. And in my background, what I feel like I've probably done the best, I mean, there's some uh, good accolades of things that we've done as you know, a board director. Uh, we've been able to, uh, you know, move our, district from a 72% graduation rate to 89 in the years that I've served. We've been uh, Washington State School Large School Board of the Year in 2019 in the last six years. Uh, five times we were Board of Distinction. So we've just done a lot of things that are right. We've built 10 new schools in the last 12 years, of which only six of them, only half of them were even uh, required to uh, go out and bond on. And so really very few people in the whole state of Washington have accomplished that. 
we just helped change state policy also to improve transitions for our military kids. And then we've also even done such things as bringing uh, medical opportunities to our schools for our military kids so that they don't have to uh, go elsewhere to be able to get some of the medical treatments that they could get in our schools. And so, uh, you know, just done a lot of uh, things to also engage the community. I created what was called a community engagement leadership team, which is SELP, which consists, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure some of y'all have heard of it, but it's the deputy superintendent, the police chief, the uh, president of uh, Pierce College. It's members from large business groups all the way from people groups as well. So we have African-American community, we have Latino community, we have a Pacific Islander community represented, and we just simply meet together to figure out what it is we can do to answer this question. And, and I've kind of heard in the other individuals speaking tonight that they're addressing really almost the same question, but we say it this way. Imagine what a student could achieve if he or she felt fully supported by a community that was truly committed to his or her success. Just imagine that. what they could achieve. And no. so that's what SELP does. And that's what we ultimately do as a board. All the award things are is just stuff, but we're really all about creating uh, opportunities for students to succeed in everyday life. Well, your work is greatly appreciated, and I can see that uh, both in the comments and in people's uh, faces. People are, are nodding as, as you're speaking. Um, I, I will ask you to talk briefly about the Clover Park School District. It is in Lakewood. Uh, I believe the school is 70% uh, students of color. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but, but because of its diversity, you have worked to pass what is called the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Policy. And this is sort of at the center of what is happening around the race. So very briefly, tell us about uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Policy, DEI, uh, and what it would do. All right. So I think most of you probably know that the amazing city of Lakewood. So we created this uh, background that, that you're seeing. We we actually believe that diversity is an amazing tool that we want to leverage for success. We think it's a beautiful thing. So we, we say we want to see people. We want to see them the way they are. We want to acknowledge that we are very diverse and learn how to come together and really be better because of it. And so you're right. The, uh, the major people group in our school districts is the Latino population. And so we're also 74% uh, free and reduced lunch. We're 32% military families. And then, of course, there's a wide variety of other individuals. So uh, it might be also really helpful to acknowledge that there's uh, not just the ethnic um, diversity, but we also have a large socioeconomic diversity in our city as well. So those are the things that we face. And then you add the military complexities to that. And it makes this, the city of Lakewood a very amazing and dynamic place. And so we're all, we, we have to figure out how to come together so that each person can reach his or her really full potential in life. And we know that if we can come together, that's when it happens. And so this DEI in, uh, inclusion, uh, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion policy is meant to address that, yeah? Well, it is what, what I actually have to slow down a little bit because in our community, when you say EDI or DEI, when you talk about equity, what happens is it gets countered with, oh, that's critical race theory, and they turn it into CRT. That's what's actually happened. And, I, and I'm not misinforming. I'm actually sharing very accurately. In fact, one of our own board directors has accused our district of promoting uh, CRT when what we really do is we teach uh, 
uh, cultural responsive teaching that's what we promote yeah that's that's actually what i'm i'm, I'm kind of trying to to you know drill down on yeah. can you talk about that uh, in, specifically yeah so i just want to make sure that we acknowledge that the need for equity is really as important as community in fact a community without equity probably isn't a community right and those those things are interwoven together and so when i talk about equity i just want to make sure that we acknowledge to me uh, equity is when you have a school district and 16% of the people in our school are special needs, they have special needs. The way they navigate through school, the way they navigate through life is different than what others are going to be experienced. And so we need to be able to figure out how to bring value to their journey. That's equity. I, we also have equity in terms of English language learners. We have 56 languages spoken in our school district. Wow. And so we need to be able to have ELL. We need to be able to know how to even tap into the value of, see, of speaking more than one language and leveraging that versus ignoring it. And so that's equity. We are the first school district in Washington state to have IB programs from the elementary all the way through the high school. And we've created a lot of other high achieving uh, opportunities. That's equity. And so e equity is knowing how to be able to come to a situation and create inclusionary opportunities for people to lean into learning and to make sure that they have access to achieve. And that's what equity is. And I just want to be very clear because when other people flip it, uh, it's uh, very accusatory and unfortunate. And that's what that is what's been happening. Sure. And I want I actually want to get into that right now, because as you mentioned, your race has been targeted or actually, as I mentioned at the very top, your race has been targeted by these right wing extremists who don't want this DEI policy to be adopted. What specifically can you tell us about the situation of the campaign that they're running? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting for me because this is going to be hopefully my fourth opportunity to serve on the school board. And so the very first, the first three times I've run unopposed because of the fact that we've done a great job. And because of the group that you mentioned, these extremists, they've uh, been able to create three people to uh, run against my position because it's very important to them to move me out. And I'm going to tell you why. The one individual is not able to get his agenda through. He's not able, he, he actually tried to create a vote to stop the work of equity. So we've been on this journey for a year very specifically creating very deep uh, equity policy, not just a definition. And so he tried to make it uh, get postponed until after the elections uh, because he's hoping to create two more people that are the CRT mindset to be on the board so that they'll be able to stop the work of equity. That's really what has been happening. And at the last board meeting on Monday, he wasn't able to uh, because he, he couldn't even get a second to try to get that motion through. So the, the real fight isn't only just to stop equity. The real fight is to go after two seats so that they can gain majority and have their uh, extremist agendas um, able to be pushed through our, our school board. You've said that one of the most uh, helpful things that people could do right now is encourage people to attend a debate on this issue. Are there debates scheduled? Yeah, there's a, a, base, a debate Saturday morning. It's going to be at the uh, First Baptist Church here in Lakewood. And so that's number one. We're going to be doing doorbelling before and after. And, the, and we're going to, we have to do the doorbelling and we have to do this effort because so much misinformation has been sent out that we need to make sure that we get clarity around what's really at stake. And, you know, 
the bottom line is that we're trying to set students up for success in life. And, you know, the fact it's almost deplorable that we're being uh, countered this way and that the work is being you know, hindered in, in the attempts to stall it. And so we need the right information to get out because they have, you know, they tell their story, even though it's an inaccurate one very well. And uh, they've knocked on over a thousand doors in our city. Wow. So we've got to counter that. And my plea is that people that, who are undecided or who have received information from these other individuals do not believe what they're saying. Come to a debate and find out what it really is. What's, what, what equity truly is before you believe that it's uh, something called the critical race theory. So door knocking, raising awareness, uh, encouraging people to go to a debate before voting. And uh, Kat is on it. She has uh, she's she's dropped a, a pin in the in the chat here. Uh, Schaeferforschools.com. Is that where people can find out more information about the, the debate and, and where to, to go door knocking? Correct. And so I'm not a professional campaigner, but I'm learning to be. Unfortunately, I would I just got back from Chicago at an Educational Research Development Institute meeting with some of the top educational experts in the United States. And it's such exciting collaborative work. And now I've got to come back and learn how to squelch this stuff that is so counterproductive to everyday life. But I'm learning to be a campaign artist, even though I didn't want to be, but I refuse to not create momentum to move in the right direction for our students. A campaign artist. I like that. Very well put. Dr. Marty Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll see some hands for him. Appreciate it. Thank you. Darwin Peters II is a coach, mentor for student athletes, and a passionate community advocate. He has worked for the Reach Center in Lakewood YMCA and has served the homeless community and at-risk teenagers. He attended elementary school through high school in the Clover Park School District and has four children who are currently attending, and he is running for Clover Park School Board. Darwin Peters II, welcome. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Stephen. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It's great to have you with us. So I'll just ask you very briefly, tell us a little bit more about your background and why you've chosen to run for school board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like like you said in my bio, I have attended um, elementary school, middle school, and high school in the Clover Park School District. Um, we actually moved here when I was nine years old. My father was in the Air Force. Um, and so we were one of those families that was fortunate enough to to get planted somewhere and stay forever right um so we stayed here for quite some time um and then we moved to california for a very short time at that point i actually came back up to lakewood because this is what i knew so it's home for me um and so i've been here short of my my military time i served in the army for seven years where i I toured in germany uh did a some some time overseas uh for the war in afghanistan and then i came back to lakewood um, and so I'm just here really passionate about our community, uh, really passionate about our school district. I have four kids that are currently attending school in the district. Um, all of them are actually at Harrison Prep now. My, my, my young student in school uh, will start sixth grade there this year. And so they're all at Harrison Prep. Um, and, and I'm just here, like I said, passionate about the community, passionate about our students, wanting to make the district um, better and continue to improve and, and move forward on the diversity that we have in our community. I did neglect to mention your military service, and I want to thank you for it. Um, you've said to me uh, that you want to redefine success for the school district. Can you uh, get a little more specific? How do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time 
I'm interacting with our youth. Um, I'm a coach. Um, I, I work within the school district. I do volunteer activities. Um, I go out and I talk with our kids about their future and what they're going to do. And one of the common things, uh, not just within our school district, but just in general, um, the thought process is that you, you go to high school, you graduate, and the measure of success is then going to a university and getting a four-year degree. Right. And while that is definitely a an amazing option, amazing path, that is not every student's path. And that's not every student's choice. Right. And one of the things that I would love to see do better is explore those or help our students explore those opportunities. Right. So one of the things that I had the pleasure of doing when I worked at the Reach Center was work for Summer Jobs 253. Um, And that program was really awesome because it took credit deficient juniors and seniors um, and it plugged them in over the summer with community partners. And so they got to have internships at different locations, um, Metro Parks, the Goodwill, so, uh, actual service plumbing, several different locations, and they got to experience different pathways while also earning credits, right? That's something that I would love to see us possibly incorporated in the city of Lakewood. And even if it's not a summer jobs two by three program, just showing them those different opportunities, right? You can have an apprenticeship after high school, right? There's a ton of trades. I'm currently a student at Culver Park Technical College. I'm a film student, right? And when I was in high school, nobody ever talked to me about technical, going to a technical college. And so here I am now at 35, exploring this career in film where, I mean, I could have been, you know, who knows uh, at the age of 19 or 20 with a degree in, in digital production, right? And so there's so many opportunities and I just want us to be able to create pathways for these students to explore in the schools while they're still in high school, figuring out what they want to do and not feel like the university is the only route for them. A hundred percent agreed. And I, and I love the fact that you're in, in film school right now. Never too old, my friend. Never too old. That is awesome. Um, I, I, you know, I was going to ask you really about how you see the role of the school board in impacting student outcomes, but you really kind of, kind of cut to the heart of that. So the, I'll, I'll shift gears in and talk uh, with you a little bit about what Marty uh, just mentioned about the school district and its makeup of the student body, which is 70% students of color. And specifically the question I'll ask you is, how do you see the, uh, the issue of representation on the school board itself? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you asked me why it was I was running that, that's another um, big part that I left out, right, is that representation. So just like Marty spoke to, right, we're 70 percent or 60 percent, about approximately 60 percent of those students um, are free and reduced lines. 30 percent of those are military students, right? Um, the majority of our board does not represent, represent that. Uh, we have one board member that is a minority, Right. And I'm not sure I, I, I'm not sure of all the board members military service um, or their their economic standings. But what I do know for me is that I have been in every last most positions. Um, obviously, I'm a minority. Right. But I also grew up on free and reduced lunch. Uh, my father, like I said, he was in the military for 29 years. And there's that misconception that if you're in the military, that you just have this surplus of money. And that's not the case at all. Right. So a lot of those students that are military dependents are also on free and reduced lunch. Right. And so all of those categories um, I have I have I've sat in as a student and as a parent. I've been a military parent that's had to deal with deployments and having 
having your kids in school while you're deployed and what the stress of that, the, what the stress can be for those families. So when we talk about representation on the school board, I feel like we need somebody that can understand that at a personal level. Right. When you have parents coming in frustrated because their student is having issues, instead of viewing that student as a, a low performing student or just a student with behavior issues, really being able to have true empathy um, for the student situation and not just the students, but the parent situation. And when you can get down to that level, I think it changes the way that you can discuss some of the things and the policies that we have on our board. Right. To include the, the biggest topic of all right now, equity and that equity policy that the board is working working on, which is a panel that I've been able to sit on because one of the great things, uh, great opportunities that we are part of this equity planning is that there's been community panels. So I've been able to sit on this panel during the progress of this um, equity policy. And that's one of the things that we focused on, right? This isn't a, a race thing. It's not it's not about targeting one specific race and making things better for uh, one race and taking away for another. It's understanding that, especially in the city of Lakewood, we have so many students that face so many different barriers and come from so many different backgrounds. And we have the challenging, um, we have the challenge of figuring out how to make sure that they all get what they need to reach that same level of success, right? I've heard somebody say it best, you know, um, equality is giving everybody a pair of shoes equity is making sure that you give the child a pair of shoes that fits, right? And that's what we're trying to do, and that's what's important, and that's what representation means, is having people that can speak to that on the board. I love that. I, I love everything you just said, and in particular, your broad and very pertinent experience uh, that, you know, experiential uh, work that you have done that I think adds such a crucial uh, voice to, to to the board. And, you know, you, you talk about the way that you define diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know, and Marty mentioned this earlier, there was a vote, there was supposed to be a vote on Monday to delay the implementation of the DEI policy. And, and Marty touched on it very briefly. I'm wondering... Darwin, can you tell us a little bit more about what happened there? So what really happened is the community came out and spoke, um, and their voice was heard, right? So we started at 5 o'clock. There was actually a rally, um, and this rally for equity was a combination of students, community members, parents, and teachers, all out in front of the district building with, with signs supporting equity. And, and it was quite amazing. We were out there for an hour. Uh, horns were going off as we're dri as cars were driving by. People were waving and screaming outside of the cars, all positive energy. It was great. Um, but what was really moving was when we got inside the board meeting. And every single person that spoke, spoke in support of this equity policy and the need for equity in the school district. And what was really moving is we had students that came up and they talked about their personal experiences and their personal, uh, their personal experience that led them to understand why equity was important. Um, we had teachers that came in and spoke on their experiences and the things, especially during this COVID pandemic, that they've seen on why equity is important. Um, and so it was it was so moving and so powerful that just like Marty said, there wasn't even a second um, for that motion to to delay the voting of, of equity. It was it was so amazing and so powerful to have the community come out and, and speak their voice and, and have their voice heard. 
I'd love to hear this locally. I want to see this statewide. I want to see this nationwide. I want to see this kind of enthusiasm and pushback uh, and truth-telling, really, to what is happening against this critical uh, race theory BS. Uh, so enough said on that. Yeah, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, so I will just ask you before I let you go, uh, Darwin, where can people go uh, to, to learn more about your campaign? I am on, uh, actually, I've just seen my, all my information pop up. So my website is uh, darwinforcpsd.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I am on Instagram, uh, more so on the website and uh, Facebook though. Um, I'm more than happy to take messages and have those conversations. Also, my email address is info at darwinforcpsd.com. We will have all of that information in the show notes uh, for everybody who is listening on terrestrial radio or the podcast. Please go to indivisiblepodcast.org for all of that information. Darwin Peters is second. It has been such a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. You have a great evening. And that's going to do it. Thank you again to Sarah Rumbaugh, Kiara Daniels, Elizabeth Gracier, Elizabeth Pugh, Dr. Marty Schaefer, and Darwin Peters II. Special thanks to Julianne Jeevsky, Robin Gittleman, Louise Pathé, and Kevin Jones. The producer of the Town Hall series is Kat Pipkin. The email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and the web address is indivisiblepodcast.org. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Call. Well, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.